Okay, starting with Numbers 25. So this chapter starts out with uh, the, well, my Bible here is labeled the sin of Peor. Um, the people, and this is what I mentioned previously, when Balaam gave Balak the advice of um, not, not confronting the people straight on, but getting them to mix. And here we see that mixture. So the the people start doing exactly what God told them not to do, which was to, to go and have relations uh, with the other people. So they they start worshiping another God, which of course is not even a God, another idol, another demon or a demon. Um, they are prince, you know, prince, technically not a demon, but a principality. Um, and so they, you know, they, they, they start mixing with the uh, women of, of Moab and uh, God is angry and he pronounces judgment. And then there's the famous story where Phineas um, takes a spear and rams through this, this Midianite woman that somebody boldly puts in front of him. Is it the Midianite? The man that brought her, the Israelite that brought her up and the woman uh, rams straight through both of them. And then there was a plague to kill 24,000 people. And uh, there was, you know, judgment on the leadership who allowed this to happen. And so God is serious about not mixing, but about being a pure people of God. And so this is another example of that. The way this applies today is not racial, but spiritual. Um, in, in that day, their race was tied into their spirituality. They were a an actual family of, you know, race of people by family group of God, but, you know, spiritually. So it was both physical and spiritual. Um, today, we are a people of God spiritually. And so, you know, we're not to marry unbelievers. You know, people that do that, I mean, you know that they're they're not serious about their faith. Um, it's just not something that a someone who's serious about the Lord would do. Um, but it, it it goes much deeper than that. I mean, that's a simple, obvious answer. But it's um, you know, I have a friend who uh, was offered a partnership in the firm that he was with, but the, the I can't remember. Maybe only one of the partners was not a believer, but he just didn't want to yoke himself with an unbeliever. Uh, it, it 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 goes deep into everything in life. Are we are we pure and set apart for God, or are we mixing with the world? This does not mean we are not in the world. We are in the world, but not of the world. And then God pronounces a blessing on Phineas, who turned away his wrath because he was. Uh, jealous of God's jealousy, he he was serious about the word of God, and and he took his spear and dealt with it, and um, and it, it names the it was a it was a Simeonite who got ran through, and it names the Midianite woman, and then we move on to chapter twenty six, and here God tells uh, Moses uh, and to Eliezer, who's now the high priest to take a census of all the people again. So at this point, there's just over 600,000 men, 20 and up, and uh, plus, you know, younger kids and women. 
and that's you know, we're getting close to the time of entering the promised land so that's uh, the size of the group that is left at this point plus the levites were or excuse me the uh, yeah the, the levites are 23,000 and um but you know 23,000 men do they number them differently they usually number them differently but anyways it's a um it's a tribe not counted amongst the others so at this point this chapter ends by saying none of the men of fighting age uh, are left that uh, had been counted by Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. So just as God had said what happened, all the men died off um, who refused to go into the promised land and follow, obey God, um, except for Caleb and Joshua. And then we move on to chapter 27. And then there's this, uh, there was a man named Zelophehad who had died and left no sons. He only had daughters. And so these daughters come up to Moses and say, hey, shouldn't we have an inheritance? We don't have a brother who the law, you know, the, the law says that the, the son should get it. And we don't, there's no brother for us. And so Moses goes to the Lord and the Lord says, yes, they're right. The daughter should get it. And so that law is established. And then God says to Moses, go up on top of this mountain so that you can look over the Jordan River and see the promised land that I'm giving the people. And, um, you know, you're not going to get to go in there, but I want you to be able to see it. So this is, I guess, a, a nice mercy to, to Moses. And Moses prays, you know, Moses is a, is a good man. He, he immediately responds by praying for the people. And he says, these people need a a strong leader. I hope you give him one. And God says, take Joshua. And, you know, I've put my spirit in him. Lay your hands on him. Put him before Eliezer the priest and have him commission him so everyone can see it. And so they will know that, that uh, I'm going to be speaking through him as leader for the, for the nation from, you know, starting now. And then there's an interesting dividing of leadership that happens here. Moses was never called a priest, but he was, I mean, in my reading, he was more the high priest than Aaron was or, or Eliezer after him during Moses' life. Moses is the one that God spoke to. And, you know, Aaron and Eliezer were the high priests and they had their responsibilities. But I don't think it, well, when anyone did doubt that Moses was the one delivering the word of God, um, they were judged. Um, Moses was very much a type for Jesus as both um, king and priest and a, a type for the order of Melchizedek that is to come in our day which is a, a, a group of priests and kings the order of Melchizedek uh, matured sons who represent God in both the authority of kingship and in the ways of God in priesthood and here you see Moses or God telling Moses to establish Joshua inside of the people. But then he, but then he established Eliezer more as the high priest than he was before because he says, you know, Joshua will go to Eliezer for the Urim and the Thurman. <laughs> I can't get those right. And I make it sound like Uma Thurman whenever I speak. Um, I guess it just says Urim here. But um, 
Urim and Thummim, I think. Um, but that that Eliezer is going to be the high priest, and that that uh, Joshua is going to have the authority of a king, and that they're to work together to represent God. Now we we're going to see here uh, as soon as the book of Joshua starts. Joshua has a mighty encounter with the angel of the Lord. And so, and, and you know, it does say here, the spirit is on him. So it's not that he's never going to hear from God. It's just that now we're, we're establishing principles that are going to go on for many hundreds of years. Um, that there's a kingship and a priesthood, and the two are separate. So Moses uh, commissions uh, him, and then we move on to chapter 28. And in this chapter, God starts really enunciating the importance of the offerings and just going over different offerings with Moses. It's interesting the way this is written. Um, you know, it goes back and forth between God giving more of the law and then action happening, which makes it nice for reading. So I, I don't know if it was a literary device used or if God, you know, I, I guess we have to take it at face value that here, God has just told Moses he's about to die, but he's reiterating the law to Moses. And I haven't studied it enough to know if he's saying something slightly different here. So uh, if there's there's new information given, just to make sure it's really well known, or if he's just making it um, extra clear the importance of uh, these offerings and sacrifices by the people. So he goes over continual offerings, Sabbath day offerings, new moon offerings, and then he moves on to Passover, then the Feast of Unleavened Bread, then First Fruits, then the Feast of Weeks, which is also called Shavuot or Pentecost. And I, I went over the importance of each of these uh, the last time they were given, I think in Leviticus uh, was when I went over it, and so I'm, I'm not going to belabor it at this point. And then we'll move on to chapter 29. And now he starts going through the uh, the fall feasts. So the Chapter 28 was the spring feast, 29 is the fall feast. So the, the seven important holidays are kind of broken up in those two times of year. They're clustered. They're not even throughout the year. They're, they're clustered in spring and the fall. And, um, and so he's, he's just going through each one. And he sets a, the, the day of uh, trumpets or shofar blowing. The Day of Atonement, the Feast of uh, Tabernacles or Booths, whatever you want to call it. I think it was commonly called Tabernacles previously, and I think that's still the most common, that's probably the most most often way I say it. Uh, I think people started saying that was a bad translation because it makes us think of the big tabernacle when he's actually talking about the small booths or small tents that people were to make in the wilderness to remind them of this time when they were in the wilderness and living in tents and moving around constantly whenever God said to move. So people decided calling it Feast of Tabernacles gives gives the wrong imagery because he's talking about those small tents that they lived in in the wilderness. And to remember, God was with them in the wilderness and God is still with us, even though we might live in a house and not a tent. But to get ourselves outside of that comfort zone and just remember... At our basic core, God is with us and he provides everything. Even if we have something more than a tent to live in, that is provisioned by God. So I said I wasn't going to go into the details, but there's a little detail on that one. And I guess I think that one, I don't know, 
it, it screams importance to me since it has not been fulfilled and uh, is the one uh, festival that I'm aware of that God says in the end times will be uh, practiced by everybody. And so there's, there's, there's certainly some extra importance there. But as he's going through all these, he's really just focusing on what are the specific sacrifices that need to be done. He's not getting into all the other ways of ritual or the meaning or anything. He's saying, hey, don't forget to do these sacrifices and offerings. And each day of the Feast of Tabernacles has very specific and different offerings that are to be made. So Moses, again, he's just making very clear that these things are important, you keep to them. And uh, so you certainly can't fault Moses for the fact that the people go away from doing this later on. uh, Because Moses made it extra clear. And then we're going to move on to chapter 30, the Law of Vows. And, you know, Moses speaks to the importance to the Lord of, of what a person says. So when a person makes a vow, he should not violate his word. And he shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. And vows become a big deal later on in the people of Israel. And, and Jesus actually, you know, kind of corrects them. Because they start making a big deal about, well, you said it this way. That way it's important. If you, but if you didn't say it this way, then it's not important. And Jesus is like, hey, let your yes be yes and your no be no when you, when you speak it's important. <laughs> if it's not important, don't speak. You know, he, he kind of changed that and says, you're missing the heart of what God was saying. You're making, you're, you're making certain rules around speech where if you speak something in this certain way, then it's important. But if you didn't say it in that certain way, you're allowed to lie or fall short or whatever. And he says, that's ridiculous. The heart of what God was saying is what you speak is important make sure you only speak that which is righteous and make sure you follow up and do what you said you're going to do. This also talks uh, to the, the importance of a, of a father and in um, either validating by not saying anything to a child's speech, a wife's speech, a daughter's speech, or, a son, or this principle could stand to a, a minor son um, that uh, there is importance in the spirit, in headship, and there is importance in um, in a father um, standing with or helping and healing and correcting to provide protection for those underneath him. I'm sure that's very difficult for most modern readers today but that does not invalidate the spiritual truth. So you can say, I don't believe that. I don't think it's PC. But then all you're doing is you are putting yourself, if you're one of the ones under headship, or your family, if you're the one given the headship of a family, uh, you're giving access to the enemy, access to demons and every other uh, spiritual hierarchy to um, basically run amok amongst your family if you're not taking this headship seriously. And, and that, that also everyone is under headship. So the, the father you know, should have somebody he's following and should respect that headship because if not, then you, you, you know, 
you're again you're exposing yourself so god has established these principles the enemy knows exactly what these principles these laws are and he works according to them and if we ignore them and don't practice them then we are subject to the enemy in that particular area of our life even if we are in christ Christ comes to overturn everything, but we have to live according to the principles that the world was founded within. If we don't live according to those principles, then we are, I mean, we're subject to them. It's just the reality of he, God made life a certain way. He established laws by which it is rules. And uh, Adam and Eve turned over the keys of the kingdom to the enemy, the keys of the world. And then Jesus took them back. And so we can have complete dominion and authority in Jesus if we subject ourselves to him and we live according to his ways. If we, instead of like Adam uh, saying, no, I'm making up my own rules, which is what Adam did and what Satan tried to get Jesus to do. If we don't do that, but we live according to God's rules, then we, we are raised up as children of God, sons of God, with all the authority. And we have all his spirit and wisdom and counsel. And we're able to do everything. But we have to live according to his ways. It, Jesus is not a, uh, a, a free-for-all check where we can do anything we want because we have Jesus. That's ridiculous. It's not biblical. But I think that's common in today's thinking. We must live according to the laws of God, which are spiritual more so than the things written. But the things written point to the spiritual. And so if we get hung up too much on the things written, we lose sight of the spiritual, which is the essence and the, and the pure truth. But if we ignore what's written, there's no way we're catching the spiritual. I hope that makes sense. It's again, we're, we're trying to put words to spiritual things, but that's the reality. And that's all I have for numbers 30. Um, and I'm trying to figure out if, um, okay, sorry. Uh, that, so that's it for today. God bless you. I hope this has been a benefit to you. I hope God blesses you through it.